Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. This is Wall Builders Live, where we talk about today's hottest topics on policy, faith, and the culture. We always do that from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. Now, normally, you'd have David Barton, Tim Barton, and myself, Rick Green, here in the studio for the day. We'd have some great guest on, or we'd be doing Good News Friday and bringing you lots of good news, or maybe Foundations of Freedom Thursday. But it's Thanksgiving week. So we had to do something a little bit special here. In fact, it's a special program that David and Tim had the opportunity to do with TBN. It has all kinds of great history. They got to go to some incredible places. And so we're going to share the audio with you here on Wall Builders Live over the next three days. And then you can actually go watch the full special and see them on the ground going to these cool places. If you go to TBN, we're going to have this, this special Thanksgiving programming for you. And it'll be David and Tim Barton and their Thanksgiving special for TBN. So be sure and check it all out at wallbuilderslive.com. And also before we dive into the program, just a quick reminder, we're a listener-supported program. We cannot bring you these very special shows without your support. And so many of you across the country have just been so great at donating and contributing, being monthly donors to Wall Builders Live. You can do that all at wallbuilderslive.com or at wallbuilders.com, either place. And you can make it a $5 a month donation. You can make it a special donation for the holiday season this year. Or maybe you want to come alongside us with a significant donation on a monthly basis that helps us to add stations across the country, helps us to bring this great programming to you, the interviews, the education, the empowering and educating of people across the country on the constitutional principles, the biblical foundation that made our nation great in the first place. We are restoring America's constitution and it's happening because of you. So please go to wallbuilderslive.com today and make a donation that helps make it possible. Let's dive right in. Here's David and Tim Barton with their Thanksgiving special for TBN. Hi, I'm Tim Barton from Wall Builders, and this is America's Hidden History, where we learn about events from history and the people that shape those events. Today we're talking about Thanksgiving and really the history of the pilgrims. Now, we're going to learn today about what led the pilgrims out of England to Holland and finally to America. We're going to discover what they really did here at Plymouth and things that we still do in America today that we do because of the contribution of the pilgrims. They truly were a remarkable people. And who they were and what they contributed to America is America's hidden history. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. As the American War for Independence began, the president of Yale was the Reverend Naftali Daggett. When New Haven, the home of Yale, came under attack, about a hundred citizens rushed out to meet the British. The Reverend Daggett galloped by them on horseback, his clerical robes flowing behind him in the wind, and he took up a solitary position atop a hill. The 2,500 British soon put the townsfolk to flight, but the Reverend Daggett continued to stand alone firing down on the advancing troops. A British officer confronted him. What are you doing there, you old fool? If I let you go, will you ever fire again on the troops of his majesty? Nothing more likely was the preacher's reply. America's early pastors personally confronted danger and courageously led their communities. For more information on Pastor Daggett and other colonial patriots, go to wallbuilders.com. 
So we're here at Plymouth Rock, and this is actually where the Pilgrims landed when they came to America. And because it's around Thanksgiving, right? Every Thanksgiving, one of the groups we talk about is the Pilgrims. But if we're gonna talk about the Pilgrims, really we have to back up just a little bit to understand more of who they are and actually why they even came to America. And while the Pilgrims are important to us today and our Thanksgiving holiday kind of centers around them, the Pilgrims have been important for centuries, literally. I mean, here we are in Massachusetts where the Pilgrims landed, and this is the home of John Adams and John Hancock and Sam Adams and so many founding fathers. And it's interesting that the people we call founding fathers thought the Pilgrims were their founding fathers. They were actually here at this spot. They gave famous speeches about their founding fathers, the Pilgrims. And so the Pilgrims became in America the model of religious liberty and of civil liberty and of rule by law and of written documents and so many good things. And so those folks we call pilgrims, they, we've respected them in America for hundreds of years, but their story really goes back even hundreds of years before that to what we now call the Reformation. Yeah, if you're gonna understand the pilgrims, you really have to go back to understand part of why the Reformation even happened because that's what built leading up to the pilgrims because the Reformation go back to guys like Wycliffe, Tyndall, people that really helped bring the Bible back to common man. At that point, the Bible wasn't provided for common man. It wasn't in a language that, that normal people could read and understand it. And these guys are saying, we need to get back to the Bible. Right. But for their efforts, they were executed. That's right. right. The early guys trying to produce the Bible, the early reformers, many of them were burned at the stake or they were beheaded or all these terrible things happened to them because at that point, the government didn't really want people going back to the Bible. Yeah, they had been almost a thousand years before the pilgrims where you could not have a Bible yourself. You, you could go to the church, but you weren't really reading. It was high illiteracy, what we call the Dark Ages. They're saying these guys that are reading the Bible like Tyndall and like Wycliffe and Huss and so many others said, everybody needs to read God's Word. And they get killed for that, but it just takes a while to be able to get that working down. So it's really a span of about 250 years before the pilgrims in seven different nations with almost two dozen different reformers saying, back to the Bible, back to the Bible, back to the Bible. And there's so much resistance because you had state established churches back then. And the more the people got back to the Bible, the more they wanted freedom, the more they wanted to live according to the Bible, and the more that's bad for kings. And so particularly with the pilgrims being English, you go to Henry VIII, and Henry VIII was a king who said no Bible reading allowed because he created a church in his own name, literally. I mean, he created his own state church to have his own doctrines, and he didn't want people different with those doctrines. Well, it is because of the doctrines of the church at that point didn't allow him to do what he wanted to do, right? Because he was trying to have a son, and his wife wouldn't give him a son, and so he wants a divorce. But at that time, you couldn't get a divorce in the church. He actually says, you know what, I'll just create my own denomination. And, and, and I will grant divorce. And so he starts his own denomination, starts his own church where he can grant what he wants and actually begins changing laws at that time. And this is one of the things even interesting about the reformers is they were already writing things about what kings like Henry VIII was doing, making, making really religion their own image. And they were saying, wait a second, that's not what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. And so King Henry VIII is a great example of someone who distorts religion just to promote what they want to do. And they want to shut up the critics. And a great example is King Henry VIII's daughter, Mary, becomes the queen after him. And Mary just kills everybody who doesn't Bloody believe. Mary. Bloody Mary. Right, exactly. That's her. She just flat kills you 
If you read the Bible or if you disagree with the way she says is a monarch, so you've got this hard-fisted state-established church, this tyranny going on, and at the same time, you've got these people saying, no, that's wrong. Here's what the Bible says. Don't care what you say. Here's what the Bible says. And so it starts as this movement of, if you will, they were called Puritans. They want to purify the church. They want the church to go back to what the Bible says, not what the king or queen says. And so these Puritans start, start really growing in England, and, and they're trying to get to the Bible. And then you come to King Henry VIII's another daughter, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, as soon as she becomes queen, she says, uh, national announcement, I'm head of the church and the state. Well, these Puritans, one of their leaders, John Greenwood, who's their pastor, he said, uh, excuse me, Jesus Christ is head of the church. She executed him. Now, it's at about that t point in time that all these reformers, all they've been saying for 250 years, they finally get it together in a single Bible. It's called the Geneva Bible because it was printed in Geneva. And that's what the Puritans took and used. And they studied that Bible. It's the first Bible available for the common man in the English language. Again, a thousand years without having a Bible you can read. Now the English people have a Bible they can read. And the more they read that Bible, the more problems it causes for their leaders. Well, this Bible is also full of commentary from all these early reformers. And so these, these reformers are pointing out things that the kings are doing that are not what the Bible actually says. And so this Bible is incredibly unpopular especially to the kings. So then you have King James come to the throne. King James is very tyrannical. He says, there'll be no more Bible reading anymore of that Geneva Bible, bans the Geneva Bible there in England because it has commentary that says things that are against what he's doing. And so he says, but I will give you a Bible. And this was the entrance of the King James Bible. And the significant thing between the Geneva and the King James Bible, the King James Bible, although we can talk about it, sure, it's very scholarly, it's very well translated, it removed all the commentary from reformers and King James then starts having his church promote, we've always had kings and kings are God's idea and we're wonderful people and you should do everything we say. But under him, there's still so much persecution that, that this is where the Puritans are realizing this really isn't a very comfortable spot for us to be. Well, he targets them and said, I'm going to harry them, which means harass. I'm going to harass them out of the country. And so he started passing policies and acting policies against the Puritans. And a group of the Puritans said, let's just leave. Let, let, let's get out of here. Some of them said, no, we need to stay and reform it. But the ones that left are called separatists. And that's the one we call the pilgrims. Because he passed a law that says anyone who criticizes the ecclesiastical supremacy of the king, you're going to prison without bail. You're not getting out. And prisons back then were not nice. They were very dungeon kind of places. And that's when the pilgrims said, okay, we're out of here and they went to Holland at that point because in Holland you could have religious liberty. Now, you weren't English citizens, you were a new country, but at least you could have religious liberty, which you could not have in England. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com 
and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. So we're here at Plymouth Rock and talking about Thanksgiving and the pilgrims. And so we, we looked at the fact the pilgrims are dealing with a lot of persecution. In fact, all over Europe, uh, there's a lot of tyrannical kings. It's very much the same way in England. A lot of tyranny. They're losing their civil and their religious liberties. And they're thinking, we need to find a place we can enjoy freedom. We, we want to raise our kids and our families in a place where they have some freedom. Where can we go? This is when they find Holland. Now, in, in Holland, there was a large Dutch community. The Dutch had been driven out of Spain very similar to what the pilgrims were going through where the Dutch had lost their religious freedom and, and the oppression against them and the tyranny against them. And so they had fled. So the Dutch established a colony in Holland and in this colony, they promote religious toleration and civil freedom. And so the pilgrims go to this place where now they, they can have this civil and religious freedom in Holland. And it's really a different culture for them. They've been agricultural their whole life in England. Now they're in Holland and it's more mechanical. They don't have the same agriculture there. And in addition to that, they've still got their home churches going. They're doing the Bible studies and doing good stuff reading the Bible, but they're having to learn a new language as well. And that's not a really easy language, the Dutch language. And it's a different culture. I mean, they've been Englishmen their whole lives. Their families have been Englishmen. They've got the Magna Carta and they've got English traditions, even though the kings are violating so much of their civil religious freedom. So they've got this thing going on where they really get to practice their, their faith, but it's a little more difficult for them and unbeknownst to them, while they're there in that situation, on the other side of the globe, essentially, there's something going on that's going to be important for them. Because here in America, we, we don't have New England yet. There haven't been any, any settlers up here. So we do have the Virginia colony, hundreds of miles south of here. And the man who was the governor of the Virginia colony, John Smith, is actually an explorer. And he came exploring up into this area. So he's up in this area, he's mapping out the, the New England area, he kind of names it New England, which becomes important for where the pilgrims need to come later, but they don't know that's happening yet. So they're, they're back in, in Holland. And so if they're gonna find a new place, well, well the problem at that point is the kings own everything. Even though they start making contact with the Virginia company, they have to get permission from the king before they can even come to the new land. They find out that they will be allowed to come to the new land under this charter and there are certain provisions and, and, and work requirements are going to be put on them. And the king kind of gives a wink and a nod and says, okay, if you'll get way over there, away from me, I won't pay attention to you. So they're required to go to Virginia. Now, we're in Massachusetts, which is where they landed. So we have something happening along the way that doesn't work out well. So when they are leaving even Holland, uh, they, they actually get a ship and they get the Speedwell. And, 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 they're, and they're gonna go and they actually go back and they connect in England and this is where the Mayflower is. And so in England, there's the Mayflower and the Speedwell and there's two ships that are going together. But as they leave England to come to the new world, the Speedwell starts leaking and, and, and it keeps leaking. And it keeps leaking and it's, it, the guys on the Speedwell did not want to go to the new land. That's a wild, savage land there. That's, we don't, we don't wanna go there. So the accusation is that Crewmen, people on board the Speedwell actually were drilling holes in the boat on purpose. Oh, got another water leak. Because got to turn they back. didn't want to go to the New World. Like, ah, oh, man, it just keeps leaking. We can't. Ah, oh, we'll just have to not go. 
So they end up turning and sailing back to England because they thought, well, we can't cross the ocean with all these holes in the boat. So they get back to England. The pilgrims are so determined, no, we want to go to this new world, that the pilgrims are able to get on the Mayflower. 102 of them, they are on the Mayflower now coming to America, but they're several weeks, maybe even months behind when they were hoping to get here. And so now when they're going to arrive, it's going to be really late. Again, they have to sail to Virginia. Problem is, as they get closer, there are some strong prevailing winds. So they get to Cape Cod in November, and before they even get off the ship, they realize there's a lot of different views, because it wasn't just pilgrims on the ship. And they said there's a lot of different views, and because they're landing in a place that's not established. They were supposed to land in Virginia where there's already an established colony. Now we're coming to a place where there's not an established colony, which means there's not established law. So, so how do we determine what's right and wrong? Who's going to be in charge? They realize we're going to have to form a civil body politic, right? Form our own government before we get off, or it's going to be chaos. So this is when they write the Mayflower Compact. And there's 41 of them, of the men who actually signed this document. And then on top of that, they had an election. They chose their own governor. So it's not by birth. You have this hereditary King Henry the Eighth. by a king. That's right. The king. Well, that's their leader. They actually... They had an election, unanimous, they chose John Carver to be their first governor, but this is the first civil document ever written in North America was on that ship, and then they elect their leaders. I mean, what a difference that is. Well, then they have to send out explorers to figure out, well, where can we have a community? Because they tried to sail south, but the winds were blowing north, and so they couldn't sail south. They said, we're going to have to stay somewhere up here. And they remember John Smith actually discovered some of these places further north, this New England area. And so they sail further north, and this is where they land. The end of December of 1620, they get here. There's already snow on the ground. The winter is already here. But this is the spot where the pilgrims landed in 1620. Their boat was right out there. They got out of the boat in the shallow cove. They waded ashore, and they came ashore over here at what's called Plymouth Rock. Now, Plymouth Rock was famous. It was known as this is where the forefathers landed. So in the 1860s, they built this area over to protect Plymouth Rock. And in 1880, they moved the rock back here and they carved 1620 on it, the landing time of the pilgrims. So that's what you see. That's Plymouth Rock. That's how it came to be. But this is where the pilgrims came ashore back in 1620. This is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity, if you're interested in having a wall builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the wall builders website and bring a speaker to your area. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. In the early 1700s, the Reverend John Wise preached that all men were created equal. 
that taxation without representation was tyranny, and that God's preferred form of government was the consent of the governed, all of which is language recognizable in the Declaration of Independence. Why? Because in 1772, the Sons of Liberty, led by founders such as Sam Adams and John Hancock, reprinted and distributed the Reverend Wise's sermons. So four years later, much of the Declaration reflected the language of those sermons by John Wise. In 1926, on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, President Calvin Coolidge affirmed, the thoughts in the Declaration can very largely be traced back to what John Wise was saying. Few today know that the Declaration was so strongly influenced by the Reverend John Wise. For more information on this and other stories, go to wallbuilders.com. So right by Plymouth Rock, there's a statue of William Bradford, who was the most famous governor of the Pilgrims. And Bradford was a guy who really did a lot to help establish the Pilgrims, and even a lot that first winter that was such brutal conditions when they landed. And we know a lot about those brutal conditions because he's the historian for the Pilgrims. He wrote it all down. He's one of the guys who actually explored this harbor when they were looking for a place to live. So he came here, he helped bring the ship back, they get off at Plymouth Rock, and when they get here, it is really, really tough. It is a Massachusetts late December winter. There's snow everywhere. They don't have any place to live. They get off and they're looking and they actually find some Indian wigwams and places where people have lived, but it's all abandoned. There, there's no one there. And so they're looking for places to build homes. And every day they go out exploring, then they come back. And at night they have to get back on the ship, which is sitting in the water with no heat. I mean, it is a rough, rough time. And Governor Bradford reports that at one time of the 102 of them, there were only seven that were not sick. And those seven are trying to take care of everyone else, trying to build homes. It is so rough that by the time they get through that first winter, half of the pilgrims died. They just weren't prepared to deliver. They didn't know what to do in this land. They probably, many more of them would have died, maybe all of them, except there was an instrument of providence that was sent to them, at least as the way Bradford kind of describes it, and that was Somerset. There was an Indian they met and actually spoke some English, but Somerset didn't speak very much English. He says, I I've got someone that I can get to you, and, and he speaks a little more. And this is where Squanto enters the scene, and Squanto's backstory is actually kind of interesting. So John Smith is a guy who would come to America, who had explored. When John Smith was here, there, there were other captains and other crews that had come. One of them was Thomas Hunt, and he was part of, of John Smith's crew, at least part of their, they did travel together. So John Smith, he leaves on a ship. Thomas Hunt stays behind, and Thomas Hunt actually went and captured 27 Indians. He was taking them back to Europe. So Thomas Hunt brings those Indians and actually starts selling them into slavery. There's a group of monks that saw what he was doing, and they went and they bought all the Indians that he hadn't yet sold into slavery. They brought them back to their mission. They taught them English. They're, they're promoting Christian values to them. This is where Squanto learns English. Well, in 1619, John Smith brings Squanto back to America. And so Squanto has been over in England. He's, he's learned English. He's learning these Christian values and principles. So Squanto actually teaches them how to live in this new world, how to survive, how, how to hunt, how to fish, how to plant. So he is really the one that, that helps them be able to make it. And it's key because while he was gone, his entire tribe was wiped out by a plague. And that's what the pilgrims had found when they got here was all these uninhabited places. So Squanto gets back to his people and oh my gosh, his people are gone. But here's a bunch of guys that don't know how to live in the land and they're in the same area. And he takes it as his mission to show them how to survive in this land. As a matter of fact, he showed them how to fish. 
in the entire preceding several months they'd only caught one fish and then he takes them out and shows how to fish and so suddenly they start having food like they've never had because they went through that first winter starving essentially and and this is where at the end of that year the, the first thanksgiving happens and you have chief massasoit and he actually brings 90 indian braves they've hunted they've gathered so they're providing a lot for this party they had three days of festivities of activities but part of what they did was thank god for the relationship that God had given them with, with Somerset, with Squanto, even with Chief Massasoit and these Indians, and they made a treaty with them, and it was actually the longest lasting treaty right. between any Anglos and any Indians. They were really impressive stuff, but they have this first Thanksgiving, which is even where today we get our tradition, where they're thanking God for what God had done. And so things were going very well until the spring of 1623. And at this point, they, they, they've had more people that are coming in, more people are joining their community, they're now growing, they're expanding, and as they're planting their crops, the problem is they don't get rain. And as everybody who's ever had a garden or everybody who's ever done any kind of farming or paid attention in any kind of earth science knows, if you don't have rain, your crops aren't gonna grow. And they recognize with no crops, we're not gonna survive. And so what happened at that point was they set aside a day for fasting. They said, if we don't get rain, if we don't get God to send rain, we're gonna be in real trouble. And they started praying and clouds gathered and a gentle rain started falling on the crops. An Indian came to them and said, we just saw that. We saw you pray and fast. We saw your God answer. We don't get that kind of rain this time of year. We don't get gentle rains. If we get rains, it's a destructive kind of storm, the stuff that goes with hail that beats the crops down. I wanna know your God. And literally, God answering their prayer caused that Indian to want to become a Christian as a result. Well, friends, we are out of time for today. We're going to pick it up tomorrow. And I sure hope you're going to have a blessed Thanksgiving this year. Hope you're going to have some great time with your friends and family and others and that you actually talk about and literally list out what you're thankful for. And certainly on our list is being thankful for freedom, thankful that we live in a country where we can worship the Lord as we choose that we can experience that freedom of family and even being able to assemble together. There's so many things that we have to be thankful for. So make sure that you're doing that throughout this weekend and sharing that with your friends and family. We will pick up where we left off today. So this is only the first third of this special program with David and Tim Barton. So make sure you tune in tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Wobblers Live. We stand undivided.